Hi guys, and welcome to Waiting in the Wings with me, Lucy. And Anthony. What episode are we on now? Eight. Yeah. Eight. Eight. I can't believe it. I, I can't <laughs> believe we're already on eight episodes. Because like yesterday we were doing our Jamie podcast. <laughs> okay, let's get started. So I will be doing the overture today. Um, there's been some interesting developments over the past... Uh, week so i'm going to start off with the west end live lineup has recently been announced there are some amazing shows including the olivier winner come from away that will yes. be performing also there's some returning ones um from last year for example six and others so i'll just announce so we've obviously got disney's aladdin the secret oh, diary they're closing they'll be doing their last like yeah live, yeah uh the secret diary of adrian mole it's oh, 13 cool. and three quarters um, the musical. That's yep. like the end of that title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the musical. Yeah. Um, I have a new cue. Ballet Boys, Brainiac Live, Come From Away, Everyone's Talking About Jamie, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Heartbeat of Home, Jesus Christ Superstar. Cool. And Juliet, obviously doing a performance. Disney's The Lion King, uh, Magic Might Live, <laughs> <laughs> Mamma Mia, so. Matilda, obviously there's like the regular yeah, ones like Les Mis. Um, Wicked is performing On Your Feet Only Fools and Horses is a musical now interestingly enough I was speaking to my stagecoach students about this musical and a lot of their parents have taken them to see it because obviously oh, it's them okay. and they loved it Oh, they were like we want to do it for our next show Oh, so maybe we should go maybe see it maybe we should go see it then how hilarious yeah but, but I don't know if it's because their parents were really invested in the TV yeah probably show. but i can't imagine like kids being there being like oh my god this is like so good but maybe it's like younger comedy so yeah, i don't know maybe it you is know? maybe it's a slaps because i think it is a bit slapstick anyway yeah which i know kids really like yeah oh interesting. okay we're gonna have to add that on the list then um the phantom of the opera thriller live which is interesting with the new documentary about michael jackson like, there was a lot of talk about it but oh. that was gonna close yeah i just oh, i don't know what that show should be on anyways regardless just but you know, it got, it's a very touristy musical. I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people come and see it because, like, they know Michael Jackson. You know, it's kind of like a safe, safe option. True. Tina Turner the musical, The View Upstairs, Waitress, uh, The Worst Witch, Yummy, and Nine to Five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite a lot actually. There's it loads is. of people. It is. There's absolutely loads. And they only get. Well, I guess they get one slot throughout the weekend, don't they? Yeah. So they'll yeah. either be performing on one of the two days. Okay. Awesome. I don't know if anyone performs. Twice. Twice. No, I don't know. I can't remember when I saw it when last year. Are you going to be going? Um, I've never been to Western Live before. Oh, yeah, the first time I went was last year and it was awesome. It was actually so cool. I, it's a free festival as yeah, well. I thought it was going to be a bit like, oh, a bit naff, you know, like a very commercial, um, which I, I guess in a way it is, but it's a lot of fun. And like everyone there is like massive musical theatre lovers. It's all packed out Trafalgar Square. Is it um, like quite sweaty or? No, 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 not at all. Space, like, like, yeah, it's move. really, really nice. Like, there's plenty of space to do. It's not like everyone's like, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like it's really, really packed, but it's only if you go like right up to the front that you'll be like squished. But like there's so much room, like. Is, and is there anything else to do there apart from watch the is there uh, like booths yeah there's booths that you can obviously get food and drink uh, they also do like merch stalls and meet and greets and stuff like that so oh, obviously like that. a lot of shows that have like either new people or uh, I remember there was a woman that was releasing like an album and they did like a meet or greet with her oh nice in one of the one of the tents yeah it's a really good event um, 
definitely worth going. I wouldn't go for like the whole thing, but like go for like a couple of hours. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's free. So yeah, exactly. that's brilliant. So, um, so Back to the Future, the musical, um, has just been announced to be visiting the Manchester Opera House in February 2020. It'll, yeah, it'll be coming down to London. Yeah, before it's West End transfer. Yeah. So apparently this musical is six years in the making. Oh, wow. Um, and obviously it's based off the 1985 uh, movie. Martin McFly obviously visits... Um, Maybe it's not 1985. Maybe it's set in 1985. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, who obviously goes back in time and then realises that he has to try and make his parents fall in love. Otherwise, he will disappear in the future. Um, and I love the movie. Do yeah. Love the, oh, movie? Uh, the movie's great. The movie's, like, iconic. Yeah. Like, it, I'd probably put it in my, like, top 10 favorite It's just, movies. again, one of those things. I found this when I went and saw uh, Mean Girls on Broadway. It's just, will it lose its... Back to the Futureness because it's been made into a musical. Like the thing that I worry about with something like this is it's just going to be a normal musical that, like, or like a stereotypical cliche musical with just the Back to the Future script slapped on top of it. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they obviously like it's going to be a big spectacle because you've got like the DeLorean and you've got to make it travel in time, so it's going to have some form of spectacle to it. Hmm, I'm interested. John oh. Rando, who obviously directed Urine Town, is directing it. Okay. Um, and Ollie Dobson, who just finished in Bat Out of Hell at the Dominion, is coming in as Marty McFly. Oh, okay, cool. Um, there's no information on the West End transfer or any other casting, but hopefully this will be announced pretty soon. Um, Christopher Lloyd, who obviously played the original Doc Brown, has actually said that he's very excited to see this production Ooh. and he wishes that he could watch it tomorrow. So, I don't know. Interesting. It obviously features songs from uh, Back to the Future. This musical features songs such as Power of Love and Johnny Be Good, which obviously are famous in the original. So, is it a jukebox musical? Well, I'm not sure, but <gasps> but, I feel like you can't, but I feel like you can't have Back to the Future without those songs. Like, when he plays it, when he's like, din, 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 yeah. he's like, oh, I guess you're too young for rock and roll now. Jim, where like, because that hasn't been a thing yet. Okay, wow, I'm I'm intrigued by this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I it's Back to the Future, so it's gonna sell unbelievably well. Whether it'll actually be like a a, a, a valuable show for the West End and for musical theatre, uh, I don't know, but we, we'll see. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge it yet. We'll see. Um, our home heart love come from away has been announced to be extended until 2020. So. All is That's good. amazing. I'm so happy. I'm um, hopefully it'll just keep getting extended until it never leaves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so we can, can see, like, it. see it again, again, again. Um, So that's really exciting. Um, so the recent production of the color purple that's being um, produced at the Curve Leicester yes, and the Birmingham Hippodrome have recently announced a casting change. Um, now is it to Sean? Yeah. Sean Williams will be playing uh, Celia. Celia. Yes. Celia? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, there's been a bit of a casting yeah, um, conundrum. So, um, obviously, they've issued a statement suggesting some of the reasons why. Some apparently there was a Twitter comments back in 2014 um, that were written by the original Sealy, which was Caia Omud. That's what I want to say. Sorry if I've butchered the pronunciation there and they issued a statement saying because of these comments they've decided to recast the role obviously the casting was done professionally and um with a lot of integrity but obviously a social media um scan or search isn't part of the casting process so that is why they have issued the statement and it has obviously led to uh sean williams who was in heather's yeah um as heather duke she will now be playing seely yeah what 
are your feelings on this? Well, this was a oh, this was just such a bad situation, anyways. Because for those of you that are the fan of fans of the color purple, obviously it features LGBT characters. Uh, the original person that was cast as this made some homophobic or had some homophobic co- comments in their uh, Twitter, and obviously that was kind of addressed and pulled up. To what she commented, saying that although she's been cast in this role, she doesn't believe that it's something that's right. Um, it's a hard one when when like you're an actor especially because you want to stand for your own opinions and your own beliefs because obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinions but I think where I struggled was the fact that she was promoting it on I mean maybe promoting is not the right word but she was still showing her beliefs and putting it out there in the world of social media Mm. of this sort of hate speech it wasn't necessarily like an attack on the LGBT community but it was stating that she didn't believe that it was um, which obviously is not okay. My opinion when it comes to stuff like this is if you if you um, if you don't believe it's right, keep it to yourself. You know, it's like that famous Whoopi Goldberg statement of if you don't like gay people, don't marry a gay man. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone's entitled to their own opinions at the end of the day. And I think as a world, that's kind of something that we are amazing as human beings is that we all have our own opinions and we all have our own kind of ways that we want to live our life. But I think when you're kind of uh, oppressing or speaking hate upon another group of people that's when it's not a good thing so i think it was very professional and very good of the team at uh curb lester and the birmingham hippodrome to recast this show yeah um, and it was handled very well uh, there wasn't any kind of unprofessionality about it mm. they were very to the point and saying that unfortunately just due to these twitter comments we've had to uh, recast the role there was not nothing really you know like all there's the... no there was no drama yeah there. exactly it was all very handled very quickly and i really appreciate kind of what they did with it and i think it's really showcasing kind of a progression for diversity in uh, musical theatre. Fantastic. Um, so this is the first ever production of The Colour Purple to be created outside yeah. of America. Yeah. It's going to be the first one produced in the UK. Obviously, it's still the musical and lyrics by Brenda Russell, Ali Willis and Stephen Bray. And it's the book by Marsha Norman. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know what your opinion, sorry, I'm just going back. But as an actor, if you're playing something that you don't necessarily believe in, what what do you have to like what would you say well i guess it's like the other way like someone could play in a role a homophobic character yeah and they might in, like intrinsically not believe that yeah but i do think there there's just some issues where i feel like if you are if you if you are homophobe or if you're a racist yeah i don't think those things I know you said about keeping them internally, but I don't think those things are accepted anymore. Like they shouldn't be yeah, accepted. Of course. Like they shouldn't you shouldn't be like, Well, I don't believe that, but I I don't know. It's quite it's quite a difficult yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, I mean when I say that like everyone's entitled to their own opinion, like I'm not saying that like it's okay that people really <laughs> I'm just saying more like if you're if it's cause you know it's so like driven into people, like you're yeah. you're born into stuff like that. Like I just think if if you're not gonna change your opinion then don't say anything, you know? Yeah. Um and I guess as an actor, especially if you're going to play a role like that and you you're and you are against it then it is kind of like a difficult thing especially when this is pro lgbt you know yeah because i do think that sometimes people do take roles like for example like in everyone's talking about jamie obviously the character of miss hedge is so anti kind of what jamie is at the very beginning yeah she's, she's, she's not a homophobe but she's very Wait. too she's very uh matter of fact and yeah. very uh likes the status quo yes know? whereas like when miss when um Michelle Visage played that role it was so interesting because you knew she was so pro like yeah. everything and like it was just great that she was taking that role and being the way she is in normal life but then she could also play a character that kind of 
Yeah. Changes. Yeah. Like yeah, tries no, to stick to the status quo. Um, so it's a hard one, but I do feel like people who have those. I also think, especially with this industry as well, you you can't be that type of person, you know, because oh you're gosh. working alongside a whole range, not even just LGBT people, but like uh, people of disability, people of color, you know, like you can't. I feel like there's you, just those, opinion, those yeah. opinions are just not especially anymore. yeah with film and theater are probably two of the biggest platforms that promote uh being for diversity and yes. difference you know so yeah I, it's... And especially like with a play that opens the conversation in, yeah. into acceptance exactly yeah you c- i don't know yeah uh yeah it was maybe just a silly move on her part but anyways moving on so now we're going to be moving on to our main part of our uh, episode um, so, although we made it very obvious in our episodes, just going through talking about Fiddler, uh, in our quiz, I guess you probably guessed that we were going to see it. Uh, so, yes, this week we're going to be talking about Fiddler on the Roof. So, a little facts for you. Now, Fiddler has had an unbelievable history when it comes to musical theatre. Um, it actually opened in September 22nd, 1964, so a long time ago, mm-hmm. at the Imperial Theatre on Broadway. Um, it also transferred to a couple more theatres. I can't remember which ones are off the top of my head. Uh, but it ran for over 3,000 performances, which is long, especially for Broadway when things chop and change quite a lot. Like, that is a long time for it to run. Um, It eventually came down to London on February 16th, 1967, where it went to Her Majesty's Theatre and played for 2,030 performances, starring Topol as Tevye, who was probably one of the most iconic, as as well as Zero Mostel, to play the role of Tevye throughout history. Um, It then has had, like, so many productions revived, especially on Broadway, Mm. but it was revived in London again in 1983 at the Apollo Victoria, where Wicked is now, which is quite funny. I can't imagine it being there, but yeah. And then, (laughs) yeah, it's so big, it's so big. But, and then again in 1994 at the Palladium. It's even bigger! (laughs) Which is like, yeah, I I don't know, I think Apollo Victoria is the biggest one, but there's still two unbelievably big theatres. Yeah. Um, and then again, obviously it closed then, but then on November 23rd, 2018, it was revived at the Mini Air Chocolate Factory and then eventually transferred over to the Playhouse Theatre on March 21st. Yay! Um, so it won an unbelievable amount of Tonys. Funnily enough, it was made too early to get any Olivier's. Like the Olivier's weren't around by the time that it came that out. That is hilarious. It, when it came out in London. So the Tonys that it won were Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Best Leading Actor, Best Featured act- uh, Actor, Best Producer, Best Director, Best Composer, Best Lyricist, Best Choreography and Best Costume design it just swept them so yeah i think it lost one award and i can't remember which one that is but like that's just like unbelievable absolutely swept all the awards um so this production was obviously directed by uh the iconic trevor nunn who uh, is known for many pieces of theater but also uh mostly lame is it's probably the one of the most famous ones he did mm-hmm. he also was an art the artistic director of the national he was indeed for a very yeah. short amount of time oh in- uh, but oh, I was just reading that recently this week. <laughs> yeah, and then it was, I obviously had a book by Joseph Stein, music Jerry Bock, and lyrics by Sheldon Harnick. Uh, this production was choreographed by Matt Cole, um, who I also have been the pleasure of working with this summer with Unwound I just feel like... Name drop? Oh my God. Name drop there. Um, <laughs> and then obviously his uh, choreography was based on the most iconic choreographer of all time, Jerome Robbins. Can you say that? Uh, I, I, of all time, to you, it's your personal no, opinion. I, I think... <laughs> Is it subjectively or objectively? It is subjectively. <laughs> subjectively, your opinion is that. We'll argue next podcast is who's the best choreographer. It's Jerome <laughs> So yeah, awesome. Um, so the first thing we're going to chat about is, obviously, this is a piece that really revolves around religion. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I have noticed a lot, especially when I go to see musical theatres, how much religion has played a part in... 
musical theatre and kind mm-hmm. of its growth through the ages, uh, different religions that is portrayed. So I think, should we just chat about some of the most iconic musicals and how they portray religion before we head into chat about... Let's Adler? do it. Uh, so some of the ones that I can really think about off the top of my head um, that are most known. Uh, so we've got some serious ones like... Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, Cabaret, mm. Bearer Pop Opera, and Godspell-ish. And then we've obviously mm. got some comedies uh, that are like Sister Act and Book of Mormon. So obviously they're two, they've got, re- but like, yeah, you know, you know, yeah Sister mean, Act is a comedy, but I, but I wouldn't. It's not about religion, it, but it's obviously set in a religious. Set. It's the same you can sort of say about Sound of Music-ish. Oh, kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what, what yeah. I was more <laughs> suggesting is kind of what are the similarities and differences between these? Because... Like, obviously, the ones I stated first kind of make a commentary on religion mm. and kind of the world today, whereas I think the other ones kind of take uh, make a satire about religion. I think even Sister Act is kind of a, uh, like I guess so, yeah. a satire yeah. piece, you know? Like, it's taking a pop group into... Yeah. Or, like, a female... Uh, what's it? Is it a gospel choir in a... You know, into, like, a nun's... Yeah. A nunnery. Um, so why do you think that religion is brought up so much in musical theatre well i just think it's something that's so inherently personal and i also think that it has played a very large part in history yes. i think it's obviously that's starting to um decline now but i definitely definitely feel like especially america there's a lot of places where religion is still the priority for a lot of people also Religion something that does define people. Some people are defined by their religion Absolutely, and the way that yeah. they are they live and the way that they're brought up is defined by religion. Um, and also, it it's very interesting because it's very subjective, and I think it does have um, a good like arc. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna I say. also I also <laughs> think with religion because religion is so rife today and like it's still as I mean it's probably not uh, as big as it was hundreds of years back. Yeah. Um, but obviously, like in in England, I feel yeah. But, like, obviously, like, a lot of messages behind these kind of musicals are still uh, prominent today. And mm. I think that's a lot of why the time musical theatre tends to rely on li- religion. Because yeah. wherever you are in history, wherever you place this musical, uh, it will always have some sort of kind of resonance in how we live our lives yeah. today. So, yeah, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, what, what you were saying about that is the morals also change. Like, religious morals, because there's so many different religions. Mm, obviously, yeah. not all of these... Um, musicals are about the same religion so there's like different morals that each of those religions bring and then you can like go so I guess maybe something like Cabaret obviously shows the the, like the Nazis view of obviously the Jewish community and then obviously you've got like um, an LGBT view against kind of like a very Chris is it Christian in in bear or is it Catholic? Uh, Catholic. Catholic. Catholic yeah. So you've got that like the verses against it. So you can also bring it into the now and say why do we? The question I feel like some of these musicals read hmm. read is why do we still re- need a religion and what morals yeah. are behind them? And it's interesting to look at those ones you just mentioned and how they kind of uh, segregate groups, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting how religion, especially in musical theatre, kind of. Uh, tends to uh, portray the idea of an oppressed group and how their struggles in uh, the world are kind of rife, really. Mm-hmm. So when you think about, yeah, when you're saying about Bear Pop Opera, it's the LGBT community and how Catholicism's kind of um, oppresses them. Cabaret, it's the Jewish community. Yeah. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, I guess it's very much... Because uh, Jesus Christ... Uh, Jesus Christ... Jesus was a Jew <laughs> himself. Yeah. Uh, so the story of 
uh, in Jesus Christ Superstar, he's obviously everyone everyone knows he gets crucified because yeah. of the person he is. So even in that regards, it's kind of a, an oppressed an oppressed kind of personal group that's kind of being uh, put to the fore. Yeah. Um, let, and if we flip it on the other hand, let's talk about Book of Mormon, because I think Book of Mormon's probably the most iconic satire or comedy that revolves around religion. So you haven't seen Book of Mormon I yet. haven't seen it. I've listened to the soundtrack before. Yes. Um, but obviously, no, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Absolutely. It's very risque. Yeah. Um. It kind of, it does definitely borderline on the taking the mick out of the religion and also presenting it in a very matter-of-fact way. Yeah. I don't think it shows a support of nature towards this no, way of no, living I at all. Agree, yeah. But you obviously know more about it. So what do you think about the Book of Mormon? So it's a hard one with Book of Mormon because I am not Mormon myself. Um, so it's not necessarily like I'm feeling like I'm being picked on and like they really pick on the Mormons like a lot in this show. Um, they're like caricatures, like completely. And although, like again, it's satire because it's kind of portraying the like off and kind of odd parts of religion and kind of where it's kind of a bit obscure. It's really kind of stepping the line of how far we can kind of take the mic before it seems to be like reverting on itself and being like mm. now we're kind of pushing against uh, the Mormon religion. Mm. So why do you think? Why do you think it's so successful? You see, and I, I feel saddened by saying this, but be, because it is funny and it's really taking the mick of that kind of community, mm. which is a shame. And I've, I don't have any people that I know that are Mormon themselves, so I don't necessarily know any people that uh, have seen this as a Mormon and kind of can comment on that and whether they yeah. think it's, they think it's like, oh, it's funny, but it's not. Because I don't, like, as an LGBT person, if someone was to rip into my community that hard... I'm not sure how much I would take it, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a line that I yeah. find, like, this is funny. Yeah. But then I don't know how, when that crosses, you know? Yeah. Um, one of my friends, James, he is a Mormon. And I remember the first thing I was like, oh, like, we were just talking about stuff. And he was like, yeah, I'm a Mormon. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I, I don't really know much. And he was like, we're not, it's not like the Book of Mormon. Don't worry. Um, but he is, like, just regular, like, uni. Yeah. Like, he drinks... He has girlfriends. And he, but he did he not have opinions at all or did he, he hate just kind it? Of, he just was like, no, it's not like Book of Mormon. He didn't okay. really say like, I. he, did, he didn't seem, like, he didn't okay. have any opinions, but he was like, it's not like Book of Mormon. Ha ha ha. But like, I had a joke about it. He wasn't like, it's not like the Book of Mormon. Don't like, don't yeah. do that. Like, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He wasn't, yeah, uh, seemed very angry about it or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. So I think kind of, I don't know. Because I think with, with kind of like Sister Act as well, with religion and that, it's kind of a hard one because where, what are they saying about religion in that regards? Because I feel like in Sister Act, it's 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 a good message because it's taking like a religious group and like bringing them into the world today and being like, we can all be part as one, you know? Mm. And why do we feel like our beliefs need to be separate? Yes, you know? yes, yes. Yeah? Um, it's kind of I, like joining these two Yeah, girls. and I think that's the same kind of with Godspell too, is that it's the idea of bringing people together who not necessarily believe in the world, word of God, but kind of can abide by the kind of message of love thy neighbour, you know? Yeah. And that's the most important kind of... Which goes back to the whole morality thing. Like, why these musicals are great is because they do project a, a morals that we can... Like, universally can be understood. Yeah. So I think, I think overall with musical theatre, it's... Uh, Maybe excluding Book of Mormon, it's really looking at what, how religion has played on the world today. Mm. And even if it's saying necessarily that religion isn't the best thing, I don't think it's always saying that religion is like the worst and should be absolutely scorned against. Because 
I think especially something like uh, Book, uh, not Book of uh, <laughs> Bear, uh, it has a message at the end that forgiveness is very important and that that is above all the most important thing and to love one another instead of uh, promoting hate. And is that um, something that's really prevalent prevalent in catholicism yeah absolutely i mean i and i think i think it's kind of trying to grab catholicism and be like look we understand your beliefs and we get that but when it gets to this far that someone is in the place where they feel like they need to take their life spoiler alert um (laughs) that possibly it's going too far Mm. so i don't think yeah it's not against a particular religion these religious musicals but i think it's kind of trying to suggest how we can bond in a world or how we can look at these musicals and re-contemplate how we live our lives maybe yeah so yeah with regards to this let's chat about fiddler just as a show yeah so So, one yeah go 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 ahead i was just gonna say i think fiddler is in a really separate category to a lot of the musicals that we just talked about Mm. because it's very deep in its context of where it's set yes very set in the religion aspects like in terms of like they are proud to be Jewish. They're mm-hmm. proud to live the lives that they have. Um, that like tradition is the thing that they um, are most proud of. And they are happy to continue living like that because that's how they've lived for so many years. And maybe that's why the end is so saddening and just hot and really just yeah. disconcerting. That was what I, I, was I think one thing that's quite difficult with this one, especially is because it has such, so much context that if you're not completely read up on it or have read into Fiddler before, you might come into the show not knowing what's happening. Mm. Um, especially because the story does move quite fast, especially in the end of the first act and the second act. Yes. That uh, if you don't really get uh, the story of kind of what happened in Russia, uh, again, I remember when I came out, I was like, what happened? Like, what was going on? <laughs> uh, is, was it the 19... 19- 10s 20s that was set it's a bit early. i think it's like the, the turn of the century turn so of like the century yeah um and kind of the russian revolution and all of that story if you if you're not necessarily read up on it you might not understand it as much yeah i think you can definitely put it into a narrative of now and you can see similarities in the um like for example the war on syria and refugees and mm. leaving country and uprooting why can't i speak today uprooting communities and you can kind of compare it to things that you might have seen in the news now but to really understand the religious and cut that the the relationship between politics and religion is really hard to hone into if you don't know anything about it because it's like okay but why are those people trying to get rid of yeah exactly yeah so like spoiler alert if you haven't seen it um the the story kind of is a it's a weird one because it has i think it has like two arcs that it's following right one of which really isn't brushed upon until right at the end and then the main arc so the main arc features this family which is run by tevia who has a wife and five daughters who he is looking to marry off to uh somebody within the community i think is what he's trying to do uh, of wealth and of intelligence Mm -hmm. Um, but the story kind of revolves that each of the three oldest girls finds someone that uh, isn't necessarily what Tevya is dreaming. And kind of uh, it goes that it's the first one is like, OK. And then each girl, each husband that the next daughter's looking for is kind of worse in Tevya's opinions. Yeah. Uh, so it really looks at this idea of tradition and what it means to be uh, like, is it Orthodox Jew? Orthodox Jew? Yes. Orthodox yeah. Jew? Yeah. yeah. Um, but then the second narrative line that's going is obviously about the... Uh, uh, pog- is it a pogrom? Pogram? pogrom? Pogroms that happened in Russia, uh, where the uh, uh, I don't know what they were they the Russian what were they called? Uh, like I don't know. The czarist. Yeah, the people who worked for the Tsar <laughs> uh, came and basically evicted uh, Jews from multiple towns all over Russia. 
Um, so those are the two kind of stories that are happening. Yeah, it's the edict of the czar. Okay, the okay wonderful. The <laughs> um, so do, do you think that this kind of worked as a narrative uh, in the way that they weaved in and out of each other? I think it really, I think it did. I think it was, I actually found the narrative really easy to follow. Yeah, it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't difficult. It no. was very Les Mis-esque that it was very kind of linear. And I feel like because we have been exposed to a lot of musicals, you could kind of see where the story was going. Like yeah. with the introduction of one of the daughters who really loved to read that first scene, you mm. kind of knew, oh, she's going to get up to no good. Obviously, because we can see the similarities with, uh, I don't know, Beauty and the Beast. Belle loves to read. She's like the weird girl yeah. in the village. You know, she's going to, something's going to go wrong with, with that daughter. Yeah. The other daughter, obviously, you knew was having a bit of an affair with one of the, the, the dressmaker yeah he's not called a dressmaker though he's called taylor Taylor. in the village you knew that was going to go somewhere and obviously the other daughter when she's introduced to the scholar you see that flirtation happen so you kind of you're suspecting yeah the narrative you can but i still yeah i still felt at the end that i just didn't really see it coming which is something that i thought was really awesome especially because you don't expect tevia to agree as it gets further easily as well um and I know we'll, we'll chat more about kind of how how the the second act moves, but it was it was really interesting to see this idea of Tevia Tevia's tradition changing as his love for his daughters took precedence over his beliefs. You mm-hmm. know, because like this idea of tradition and uh, especially when it comes to religion is that if you kind of stray out of the lines, you don't belong anymore Mm -hmm. and you are shunned from the community and you shouldn't be part. Um, And especially with today's world where if you're not part of the group, if you're not part of the community, you're not anything. You've got to be out. And if you don't stick to tradition, if you don't stick to how we're supposed to live our lives, uh, you can't be part of this community anymore. And I think that for all the future is going to be something that's always prevalent. But it was what I really liked about this story is how Tevye, who is this man who epitomizes tradition and the patriarch of a family and like the leader of a family and a community can also see forgiveness and can see uh, negotiation and compromise to his, his beliefs for the sake of love. Yes. And putting his daughters before tradition, putting his love for them and his uh, willingness for them to succeed and be happy yeah. and i think that's like one of the things mm, he stresses definitely. like happiness like will you be happy and then all the daughters are like yes this is what i want this yeah. is what i want this is not a pressured thing yeah I, exactly yeah so. and, and and you can tell that it none of none of the thing was against the uh, the jewish religion like they, oh no they weren't being like i'm going to get back at you so i'm going to do this it was all because it made them happy yeah and that's one thing again that i think really is kind of uh prevalent today is that People aren't going against things because they're angry at them. I mean, obviously, some people do. But on mm-hmm. the most part, people don't want to turn against their community. People want to just seek for happiness. And if yes. they can find that as part of their community, then that's even even better. You Definitely. Know? And I think there was a bit of a class struggle within this as well. The fact that the Tevye was obviously a poor, I want to say, isn't like cheese and bread industry. What was his job? What would you say? Because uh, no one actually said. Yeah, no. He, he sounds like cheese yeah, and milk. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't know. Um, but like, um, he was obviously poor. Everyone was like, you're a poor, poor farmer, maybe they called him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and was he just a farmer? I think maybe he was just a farmer. I know he had a cow and a yeah. horse. <laughs> oh, he's a milkman. <laughs> oh, obviously. <laughs> okay. So obviously Tevye is a, a poor milkman and obviously they want their daughters to succeed and marry up. And, you know, um, the 
Golda just wants her daughters to be enriched and have the best in the world that's why she doesn't mind them being married to men that are a lot older than them because she wants them to have the riches and the lavish lifestyle that maybe she didn't have herself um so obviously there's like some things with like class and like wanting to better yourself well it's also that idea of kind of a uh parents not making calls for their kids that much anymore yes um especially as because that's kind of something that's fading out of the tradition of today is that uh, kids are more out wanting to find love themselves instead of parents being like this is the person you should marry you know i mean that's quite a an old but i even think of like a heteronormative sense of like you not having to marry within the religion is kind of going mm. out of fashion and yeah. not marrying someone for money. Well, especially, or... And this is why I always think that Fiddler will kind of have a message today is that uh, there will always be groups that will want to find other people to connect with, you know? Yeah. Like, especially like, you know, think of the LGBT community, you know, like a lot of people, their families are like, oh no, we're not against that, but they still want to try and find happiness both with their family, but also someone that they love or a community. Uh, interracial marriages as well is yeah. something that's still kind of some people are a bit like oh i'm not sure on yeah which again is should be uh that's just looked good upon you know um yeah. so i think it's always kind of something that will be sparked upon wherever it's kind of placed in in history really yeah um so yeah the second the second act especially when this is kind of where the uh, all the pogrom stuff started happening did what did you feel about it kind of in regards to how the story went because i this is where i think i struggled a bit just because it moved very quickly it did move very quickly in terms of i think they tried to come to the conclusion quite yeah you know i feel like they feel like they wanted i feel like they wanted the end to be as heart-wrenching as as possible just because it was just so um raw truth that is what did happen in russia um and I feel like they were like, right, we need to move this. We need to make sure that this daughter is with this person, this daughter is with this person. Yeah. So they really feel like they're kind of like this broken family, but they're trying to regain home. Yeah. And like, they're now going to question what home is. Yeah. Is home the things that we have and the places that we are and the religion that we celebrate? Or is it the people around us that make up a religion or home or whatever? Um, but it did move very fast in terms of the narrative. Like um, the oldest daughter... Uh, Zytel. Zytel. She was like pregnant in one scene and then the baby was born in the next. And, yeah. you know, that was just a very small... It would have been um, nice to see more growth between the other relationships as well, I thought. Yeah. Uh, just because I think especially with Hava and uh, uh, Perchik, I want to say Perchik, yeah. Perchik. Uh, there was one scene, two scenes that they had and it was very brief scenes before they eventually decided they were going to run away together. Yes. Um, it's just because there was a lot of gallivanting, I thought, in the first act, which it was good to gain uh, build up context and give us the idea of what uh, the Jewish tradition means. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just meant that the second act moved very quickly. So especially when uh, they eventually uh, had to leave Anatevka, I was just a bit like, oh, wow. OK, that's that's happened. Yeah. But I don't know whether that's it's meant to shock you suddenly. Yeah. Well, I think it, it is. I think they did use it to shock because also they have a really good relationship with kind of the Zaza's people and you know he says I'm gonna tell you first because I like oh, you oh yeah of course of um course. and then he like does the full 180 and it's like no actually you have to leave I can't protect you anymore and I don't really want to protect you yeah uh so bye and I think that's quite a shocking revelation because obviously it does show the humaneness of the Zaza's people as well yeah the fact that they consider them they're, equals yeah. and then they were like mm. they're not just like stereotypical villains yes yeah Cool. Uh, also, I think we want to chat about kind of a uh, 
the idea of putting this religion on stage and I thought especially through the design and the choreo and the score mm. what I really really loved about Fiddler is the insight that it gave you to the Jewish life yes just in general because when when you're not part of that group you don't you don't necessarily see a 3D life of these characters especially if they're back in history mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of Orthodox Jews that still abide and live by these rules today yeah. and it was just amazing to have an insight in the lives and I remember I had people sat next to me who were like in tears just in the sabbath prayer scene which obviously like i'm assuming they have a real connection with kind of jewish tradition and jewish uh, life and culture uh that this show really has fixed to what that world was like yeah um and one of my favorite parts was the uh bottle dance oh gosh <laughs> which was the most stressful thing i think i've ever watched in i would theater agree with that ever. unless she was holding my breath and i was like no because i do think they didn't stick the bottles to their hats or no, have any magnets i think because they that, were just... that little wobble when it like kind of fell off and he was like oh no yeah but it's i think it's really nice to see that uh we can put these worlds on stage that give people that aren't necessarily part of these communities a chance to see something different yeah. and learn more so what did you think about design and choreo and the score just in in regards to that kind of point um, I feel like when you enter the theatre, because the set is um, really immersed, you know, throughout past kind of like the proscenium arch into the stalls with the windy kind of road, the boxes are kind of integrated into the actual set. You're kind of saying that this is where our two worlds collide and we can learn a lot about what's presented on stage. Yeah. Um, and also it's saying that you're invited, you're safe here. That was what I was kind of saying, that you're allowed to be a part of it. And also because... Um, Tevier speaks a lot to the audience. He has that interaction with um, singular members and he really like hones in on the eye contact and everything. Yeah. That like technique was really interesting because yeah. it really felt like he was speaking directly to the people that were present in the room rather than just like, I like, you know, like traditional MC, like I'm kind of speaking to like every single person. Okay. Um, that's what I was thinking. So, and also the houses are amazing. Yeah. Um, so... I think I'll chat a little bit about the casting as well. Okay. Just in regards to, uh, because we are trying to portray the most authentic uh, Jewish community in the turn of the century as we can. Any opinions about the casting? I don't really know if they're Jewish, but does that I don't, matter? I don't. Um, to you. What for you me, no, it doesn't. Because I think it's kind of there on the same lines as uh, a non-LGBT person portraying an LGBT person, I think as long as you have a lot of research into what it's about and you understand the role and the character and the importance of why, then it's okay. Obviously, it's a different uh, thing with race and disability because it's a uh, a visual. Yeah. Um, So I didn't mind. I think the problem that I found was the accents mainly. Okay. Um, And especially the differentiations between different people and their accents. Uh, firstly, I didn't think the accents were all on point for the whole thing through anyways. I didn't, I, it really disconnected me from the story a lot of the times because I was really focusing on, oh, that doesn't sound right. Or I'm not sure. I don't exactly know what the accent's meant to be like, but I didn't think it sounded like that. Well, do you think that it's because it is an accent that's not really like, because they're speaking English, they would be speaking Russian. Really? So what, who is to say what their voices would have sound like? then also speaking english and not yeah, russian yeah that's true um i just I, think it was more inconsistent inconsistencies in with between kind of- between people sometimes with one person talking at different times uh i think the one i'll bring up is the guy who played uh who was the student 
Oh, yes, so I got it wrong. So it wasn't Perchik, that was uh, Hover's uh, lover. That was Fiedka. Oh. Uh, so it's Perchik who is with uh, Ho- uh, Hoddle. Hoddle. Uh, yeah, so uh, Stuart Clark, who played Perchik, his accent seemed very American. Mm, I could see that. He's like, Do you think uh, it was because he was supposed to be a scholar, so he'd like listen to a lot of like Western? Oh, I don't know. I don't um, know. Teachers or something. I'm just trying, trying to play devils. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. I, no. I know you are. I know you're trying to make me sound <laughs> dumb. No, no. no, I just, I don't know. I think it was just more off-putting than I thought inappropriate. If you get me, yes. You know? Like it, like it, uh, it took you out of the. Yeah. Yeah, turn out the show. Yeah, exactly. It didn't suspend your disbelief. Yeah, it definitely didn't. One thing I would say about the accents was when they were speaking to one another, I didn't, I wasn't really taken out of the, the the show in that respect. But it would be like they would be speaking in these really quite um heavy kind of Russian Jewish accents, which was really cool. And then they would go into a song, and I thought that was the most telling, especially some of the young daughters. It would be like I'm not even going to do an impression of the accent because I can't. <laughs> so obviously, they have more talent than me, so I'm putting that out there. But then obviously, like matchmaker, it would be like matchmaker, matchmaker, <laughs> and it would be really like this lovely gorgeous singing voice but it would definitely be a lot more british and have that their resonance and their sugary sweet yeah, yeah. um what's the word kind of like vibrato was very english okay yeah, so yeah. that's when i was like hmm okay interesting cool. so do you feel like uh fiddler was an effective way of telling religion in a musical theater story a hundred percent yeah um i think it was really rooted in the entire narrative i thought the design really emphasized definitely the classes that um the religion was part of um it spoke a lot about um jobs family life Mm. um the community aspect in terms of like how they were all kind of like marrying off to families that they knew, people that they knew, you know, you don't want to marry the baker's daughter, you want to marry the the butchers, you know, like yeah. they all knew about each other's history and, and that was really yeah. well told. Um, and I think it was effective in telling this moment of history through the music as well. Yeah. Um, how it's an all-rounded like community, there's culture, there's these traditions of dance and music and weddings like i always feel like something like a wedding especially a religious wedding is very um a mirror of the culture that it comes from religion that it comes from sorry yeah what do you think uh yeah i think it was i think it was great i think just mainly because a lot of uh musical theaters about religion kind of uh portray an idea of looking uh as an outsider to religion or, mm. or religion being a group that is uh, oppressing another group and i think what this musical is great at doing and how it's so different is that it just looks at the goodness of religion in a sort of you're part of it way mm. um and that uh it looks at how people who are so involved in this religion can also be subject to change as well um without reprimanding their their own beliefs in a way you know and that it is something that can change and that it doesn't necessarily matter if it does change as long as you're still as long as your tradition is your your own and you still believe in it in a way yeah and i think one of the big things about this musical was the value of acceptance it was kind of pushing yeah how that they needed to evolve to kind of like they had to move yeah they had to let their daughters go with the with the men that they loved with they were going to move to america like this big and you obviously knew in your head there's big change coming to Russia. Like, this is just before yeah. the Russian Revolution. Like, the communists are going to come in. It's going to be a crazy 60 years and not really stopped. Like, 
Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I completely agree. I think, I think it's, I think it's just really good because it, it, it's an idea of love, regardless of like the, the, uh, the pogrom storyline that's happening with the, uh, the revolution, uh, which is kind of more of a political thing, anyways. I think over religion. Would yeah. you kind of agree? Um, I think it's looking. It, it just mainly looks at religion as kind of how you love each other, what is home, what is family, yeah, uh, what is tradition, you know. Yeah, and then also a bit of ignorance as well. Ignorance is bliss, which kind of is, which made me think of um, similarities to Cabaret. Yeah, in the fact that they were like, this is a small town. They won't come here. They won't evict us. We're yeah. only a tiny little town. What What's that going to do with us? You know, yeah. all this news coming from the outside. I'm sure they did call it the outside world at one yeah, point. Yeah, I think so. And this letters come from the outside world. And then obviously you see that the Tsarists soldiers, they are more influencing what's going on. They're they already have that hierarchy, you know, when they kick the two men off the stores at the bar. You can see that change is happening and they're kind of ignorant to it until the end where yeah. they're like, oh, okay, we will leave. <laughs> so we're going to talk about tradition. Tradition! Yeah. Um, tradition! We're going to talk about not tradition in the sense of what it, tradition means in Fiddler, but what tradition means to musical theatre. Okay. Because I think one thing that I know, especially from uh, my family talking about musical theatre, and from what I've kind of gathered from reading up a lot on musical theatre, is that Fiddler is really part of the American, especially the American, but also just global vernacular of musical theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, in general, musical theatre has a tradition or a form that it always abides to in terms of narrative in terms of anything really so do you feel like through history there is sort of a a tradition or a form that musical theater kind of is is forming to well i definitely think it just follows like a literary tradition of plot points introduce the protagonist yes follow yeah, the protagonist's story there's a, a crux or a climax and then there's a resolution, resolution at yeah. the end. Uh, definitely. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, still today, a lot of musicals follow this kind of form. And I would say especially those that have been based off another thing, like adaptions. Yes. So yes, in terms of, if we're talking about like new musical theatre, I think a lot of adaptions follow the same literary structure. Yeah, well I feel like that's even another thing is that the idea of musicals are now a tradition of musical theatre now is becoming that they are adaptations of something that's come mm. before. There's not a lot of really original work. Like I think, can you name any original musicals that are original, original? Like they're not even based off anything. Because like even like Rent is based off of La Boheme. Uh, Oklahoma is based off of... Uh, the green where the green lilacs whatever that one that's really hard because i guess kind of six but then it got it is based off the lives of yeah and uh, it's hard come from away, is come from away. you know like it's rooted in a lot of tradition today is coming from uh any uh, sort of source material if you so, like can me. you think of but can you think of any musical i i do have some written down um that is because i'm thinking because fiddler is actually based off of something itself i can't remember it exactly itself but i think it's a book isn't it written by a person who lived there at the time i think that was in the program wasn't it so here are some that are really aren't like based off of anything dear evan hansen it's not based it's true og okay um hairspray is actually an og it's not based off of anything all right go um, come through john waters uh, we've got uh, Avenue Q, even though you could kind of say it stems from the idea of like the Muppets, but it's yeah. kind of its own original story. More like Sesame Street, that's what. It... Um, but no, just 
kind of those, some of them. Uh, Bear Pop Opera is another one. Uh, but mostly a lot of musicals we see tend to try and take stories from other stories. Yeah. But is that a bad thing? No. I mean, I don't <laughs> necessarily... And I think what we will like chat about that more. Um, um, I think one thing that it's is that it's spoon feeds audiences and it's not very intellectually challenging and that uh, it's jazzy and fun and a good night out, you know? Yeah. Yeah? Um, do you feel like any of this is mirrored in Fiddler? If we're talking in regards to Fiddler being the ultimate epitome of what musical theatre tradition is because Fiddler is like the amount of times it's been revived it really has placed itself in the canon of musical theatre history yeah I definitely think that it does have some wow moments like the ball dance and kind of like the um to, to life that whole section is really like a big dance break of all the Sars' soldiers like it has got a wow factor but I don't think it's I wouldn't say it was cheesy. No. Um, it's very... I do still think it is very musical theatre, though, in regards oh, to I when you so. think of commercial musical theatre. So when you think of, like, Les Mis, if you yes. think of Phantom, if you think of Miss Saigon, in regards to the storyline not being the most difficult or the most challenging mm-hmm. uh, piece of theatre, you know? Yeah. So do you think that this tradition is a positive, has a positive or negative effect on musical theatre? Well, I think for there to be a tradition to get new material such as like Six and Come From Away with their smaller um, running time, with their different, um, like especially with Six, like mixing it up with the whole, this is now start following like this girl group that comes together. You have to have like the basis to be able to change it up. And if we didn't have anything that was like on under this structure or under this tradition, then there wouldn't be... I don't know. It's quite. It's quite hard. It's very. This is very like philosophical. Yeah, and very like, like theory. It, yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting what the idea that uh, if we took the idea of what Fiddler's saying and placed it on top of musical theatre, that it's it's good to see that uh, musical theatre can is sticking to a tradition and that it is easy to follow on yeah. the most part. It's sort of an adaptation. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, has spectacle or involves spectacle in some form. I think it's accessible. And accessible. Uh, commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, literally, even when we were just talking about Back to the Future, I already see Back to the Future kind of filling in yes. all of those kind of categories. But I think it's good that uh, musical theatre is also open to change mm-hmm. uh, with stuff like Come From Away even though Come From Away does have a couple of tropes that it kind of falls into as well. But Six is another one. And it's that idea of like, even though we have an idea of what musical theatre is and what it should be and what it's always been. It can still change. But it, it just, and we should be accepting of that. Yes. And we should thrive on that and give that an opportunity to flare. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a weird one. And it's really interesting because it not only means that Fiddler has a uh, interesting intellectual narrative in its just in its, for, uh, its story itself, mm-hmm. but also in the way that musical theatre has played a role in history. Yeah. Or in recent history. Do you, So overall, do you feel like Fiddler as a tradition of musical theatre is still relevant today? Because Fiddler has brought back so many times, do you feel like it still has a voice today? Well, I feel like it's, a, as we said before, the stories and the morals that it presents are easily translatable to the world that we live in now. And that's why it has a universal message that people want to go see it. Also, I feel like it is one of those shows that, oh, Fiddler's back. Let's go see it. Yeah. Like it has a notorious 
um, reputation that means that people can people want to go see it again it's enjoyed by millions like obviously there's like loads of fans but as a tradition of musical theater i feel like maybe we should be changing the game up to think okay we have all these amazing musicals that are kind of written the same way what can us as 21st century creatives bring to the world of musical theater and what can we do to enhance this to change this to shake it up um to make something a little bit different because i feel like things like plays have evolved so mm. much in the yeah. past hundred years, whereas like musicals have, but I don't think we have gone as far as plays. Well, also the history of musical theatre isn't as long as plays. Musicals have only been around since like the late eighteen hundreds, yeah. and that's like really, really start off like operas and operettas and stuff like that. Yeah, but no, no, I do completely agree with you. I think, I think the 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 message behind Fiddler has resonance today. Whether I think that it needs to constantly be brought back, mm. I don't know. Um, but I think definitely it's that idea of taking what Fiddler means and kind of for musical theatre pro- to progress is kind of placing that on the West End scene today. Yeah. So our review today, uh, we have a couple... So the first one is a three-star review of Fiddler at the Playhouse. Now, this is on the Londonist.com if you want to go find it. Um, it's written by Johnny Fox. Um, and he celebrates um, that no cliche has been left unturned in Trevor Nunn's thorough and intense production of the recently transferred blah, 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 blah. Um, dressed entirely in shades of charcoal, suit and lamp black, wild-eyed women and wild-beaded men um, wail through the Kelsma-inspired anthems with their eyes ruling heavenly and their arms in the air as though their lives depended on it. So that's kind of what he opens his review with. Um, so he is kind of saying, if you like Fiddler on the Roof already, you're going to love this version. It's updated. It has some resonance in terms of like the Brexit posters, that very um, lovely tableau at the end of them all leaving in the snow. Oh, yeah. It's very reminiscent of like 21st century Britain. But if you don't, it's not going to convince you. But that's the fault of the 1964 script and not the exuberant 20, 2019 production. Yeah, I so would... So he says it's dated because of that. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Because like, again, when I saw it, I didn't think it was the most moving piece I'd ever seen in my life. But I could see how it had resonance today and I still enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, um, he says that some of the jokes and the gags are, in, they're not mm, needed, which is kind of what we spoke about. Yeah. was a bit like... It was quite difficult to understand some of the jokes because... I don't know why. Because a lot of other people in the room got it. And I don't know whether it was an age thing or a uh, context thing or if you'd seen it before you knew it. Yeah. So... I don't know. Um, however, he just said the daughters are in indistinguishable. They oh. blend into one. It's hard to decipher one from the other. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. Especially Hover and Hoddle. I was getting very confused as to who they were each. And he says um, that to bring the wonderful Judy Kuhn over from America to mostly peel potatoes for the first act seems like a waste of her considerable <laughs> talents. <laughs> to be fair, I did think Golda was going to do a lot more in the story. I'd never seen Fiddler before, so I was like, what, is she going to like do something different? Is she going to change Tevia's opinions? Like, but she actually didn't do a lot. Um, um, yeah, so... Yeah. Three stars. I don't know whether that's worth a three star, but, but I, I can like see where in- he's coming from. Yeah. Um, so this review is a five-star review written by Mark Shelton. 
Shenton, Shenton. And um, this Shenton. is at londontheatre.co.uk if you want to go read it. Um, and obviously he notes how exuberant this performance was. Um, he says, this is suddenly a golden age for the forever of musical theatre. From the London West Sondheim, so this is obviously when Company was still on the West End. From where Sondheim's Company and Follies have both had spine-melding renovations um, and now hot off the heels of an off-Broadway revival, Fiddler on the Roof, um, like it's just fantastic with its haunting and always resonant portrait of the Jewish dysphoria from Russia at the beginning of the last century. Obviously, it he mentions like a lot about the history and how it's um, you can't help thinking of the fate awaiting for them in um, Germany as they talk about moving, uh, but also speaks to any refugee crisis played out today. So he's really talking about how history is repeating itself and how that's why audiences are finding this more relevant today maybe because of the yeah. circumstances that we are living yeah. um so he mentions that he thinks this show is written for an american audience what do you think about that um do i think it's written for an american audience i think the comedy is quite american i don't think it's it's not that witty like there's one character yenta um who I think has a lot of British comedy because it's dry and it's quick and it's witty. Mm. Yeah. Whereas I think the rest of the comedy is very American. I don't necessarily think it's an American story, though. I still think anyone, any place can kind of have resonance or a connection with Fiddler. Yeah, it's, it's kind of saying because like, society is... Um, he's saying, oh, uh, this is an American story. And then the producer said, because it's so Japanese, apparently, that they have a... A similar patriarchal society that was on the cusp of major societal shifts during that turn of the century as well. Oh, okay, interesting. He's, he's got a really historical, yeah. renowned opinion on this prediction. Oh, interesting. I'd like to read that. This is a gorgeous production of a simply glorious musical. It's a strong visual image augmented by the stunning lighting of Tim Lucan. Yeah, we haven't talked about like, like lighting or anything like that, but it was pretty yeah, beautiful with the, the, the lamps as well how they like would go out and go in we even had an argument at the beginning of when the musical oh, yeah. <laughs> started if it was at night or was it during the day yeah in the morning it was quite funny the preset um but he, yeah he said five stars so it's kind of two very very different reviews um maybe it's because he does speak about the fact that companies and follies have both been brought back and that yeah. era of like traditional classic musical theater was very prevalent prevalent at that time <laughs> but also with company that was a shake-up of tradition mm. like even though it's a tradition being brought back it's they changed how they did it. i mean follies I'd, i've not seen a, a production of follies done before but it might have been changed but obviously fiddler was from what i established it was sort of the same or same sort of setting. They haven't changed anything within that. Yeah. It might have been good to compare reviews from like a 1964 production. Yeah. But then again, I don't know how I'd find those. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we're going to move on to our curtain call. Uh, so we're going to start off with our backstage hero. This was an award we added last week just to celebrate the people behind the scenes who are doing... Uh, all the designing, the directing, the choreography, all those bits and pieces. So, uh, I will start. I think, uh, so I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to give it to two, but because they Whoa. weren't, no, no, no. 
because they work side by side and it's Jerome Robbins and Matt Cole. Okay. I think because my favourite moments of the show were the dance moments mm-hmm. uh, because they were so cool and different and interesting, especially the bottle dance moment. So a combination between Matt Cole's choreography with the inspiration of Jerome Robbins, I think is my uh, my backstage hero one. Name drop, name drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, my... Uh... A backstage hero is going to be the set designer Robert Jones. I thought his set was absolutely incredible. It immersed the audience. It included the audience at some points. Yeah. With um the cast kind of sitting and standing around um in the stalls, for example, on the windy road. Also, kind of a little shout out to the obviously light designer Tim Lurkin because obviously the lights were integrated with the set as well. So I don't know if that was um Robert Jones or. Tim Lurkin, but I don't want to leave him out in case the lights were his idea, not <laughs> Um, But it's an incredible set. Like, even if you just go to the theatre just to see the set and how it's it's just so cool. I just like it. And how all the doors, like, yeah. opened and closed and, like, you could see people, the comings and goings, and, like, it felt like it went on forever. Like, it was a whole village. Yeah. And but in the stage yeah, of Playhouse, and- which is quite a small, intimate venue. Yeah. So, well done. Okay, and next up is our star of the show. Uh, Lucy, do you want to go first on this one? Um, yes. So my um, star of the show is actually going to go to Tevier. And I also loved his um, very beginning of If I Was a Rich Man when he was like oh, yeah. pulling all his like arthritic yeah. joints. I thought that was hilarious. And his kind of like ad libs. Also, I feel like he had a very friendly comfortable relationship with the audience yeah, like, I definitely. felt like I could have watched his monologues for a long time like I was never bored um and also I like I did like his comedy he had very good comic timing yeah. um and his singing voice is really good yeah brilliant pitching yeah. <laughs> uh mine is actually going to go to uh Josh Gannon who plays Mottel uh, oh no he was really good uh, just because it's uh Mottle isn't the biggest part in the show. Um, he obviously is the one that weds uh, Zytel at the end. But I just felt this just like lovable, honest, kind character come to the fore. And he was a really wonderful actor. Mm-hmm. He was probably the most consistent in his accent, I thought. Yeah. Uh, he was also a great singer and also like a great mover as well. I think he just kind of had it all there, but without being like showy, if that mm-hmm. made sense. He just he just was the part and it felt so natural, especially for a show like Fiddler, where I think that's really what is trying to be in the fore. So yeah, Josh Gannon is my uh, star of the show there. Okay, and finally, Feathers. Feathers! Um, so, I'm going to give this show four feathers. Um, I think as a production in the whole, it was pretty spot on. I don't think there was anything that I'd really be like, oh, I wasn't sure. Uh, Regardless of the accents, like the design was phenomenal. The direction was phenomenal. The choreography was phenomenal. Um, Story-wise, I don't think it was the best story or the most phenomenal. It had a great message behind it, but I didn't feel myself being like, I'm moved by this. Uh, So there was nothing wrong with it. It just, again, wasn't the most unbelievable piece that I've ever seen. So hence why I'm going to give it four. I'm also going to give it for mm. feathers um but also just this this production has made me think and it has been in my head since i've seen it and i think the more i think about it the more i enjoyed it um and the more i would want to go see it again like when i left i was kind of like hmm i don't know i don't know how i feel but actually the more i think about it the more that is sing tradition also the songs are so catchy yeah the songs are so catchy and i remember coming out being like i don't know if i'd listen to the soundtrack and i'd be and then i came home and i was like tradition yeah. <laughs> um and I think it was something special. I feel like any musical theatre fan should go see this musical just to understand like what a good classic um, musical theatre show is and how we can now 
compare it to the things that are being turned out in the musical theatre canon of today. Yeah, absolutely. So... We're going to move on to our little outro. So where can we find you on social media, Lucy? You can find me at Lucy Helen Performing Arts. Oh, and I don't have my Facebook. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then you can find me uh, at Anton Underwood uh, at... Uh, that's on Twitter and then Antoine XOXO with two E's on Instagram. Um, you can also follow our production company um, at Taximan Productions on Facebook and Instagram and then Taximan Prod on Twitter. Uh, we will hopefully have announced our show by then. Yeah, we will have done. Um, so do check out what we're going to be doing in the end of the summer. So, Lucy, it is your turn to do the quiz this week. Here she goes. So, this musical took eight years to create wow eight whole years think about that so the co-creator um robert lopez actually composed songs in disney's frozen oh that's a second clue links also to a cast member in the original broadway production who was also in frozen <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the producers actually first saw this show six days before it opened with a full band. So that was the first time they saw the show <laughs> in its full form with a full orchestra, with a full production and everything. Very interesting clues. <laughs> <laughs> you probably won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you very soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>